Welcome to Smalley Marriage Radio. I am Michael Smalley, and today I actually have a very special guest. We practically became best friends in Guatemala recently on a trip with Compassion International helping serve the kids. But I have with me Carl Vaders, who is with New Small Church. So I have a guy that's a pastor of a small church helping other pastors of other small churches, and the show... You're not going to want to miss this one. Welcome to Smalley Marriage Radio. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, especially since I got a very in front, in front of my name. Very special. That's I'm not very special that very often. Well, I mean, most small church guys don't think they're very special. So I, I'm just <laughs> trying to make you feel, you know, better. So it, Hey, it, I'll take it whenever I can get it. I know. So, okay, so you and I met at... Uh, in Guatemala, we were doing some human trafficking. No, that is not what we were doing. <laughs> that is very inaccurate. But you and I were a part of a trip with Compassion International, who you and I are both involved with. And we started a conversation, and I, I practically begged you to come on the podcast with me because I just I love what you're doing. Yeah, it was sad. When I had to get you to stop kissing my feet, that just got a bit much there. It was awkward for everybody in the room. It got uncomfortable, the tears and and the oil. I I understand. I feel bad about that now, a little bit, but but not overly. So, all right, so let everybody know, Carl, who are you? Why are you helping small churches? Why does that even matter? Uh, yeah, long story really short. I've been pastoring in uh, Orange County, California for the last 26 years. And Orange County, California is a great place for massive churches. And um, I came to a church that was hurting. They'd been through five pastors in 10 years. And I thought, hey, I'm going to bring it bring it up to speed and we're going to be the next big thing. And um, it just never worked out that way. Uh, no matter what I did, even though the church is on the main street in the middle of a massive populated area, I could not get the church to be big. So I had to take a look at, okay, we're staying small. How do we do small well? And I could find very, very little help to do that. So uh, I just started, as I scrambled and found bits and pieces. I started putting it all together, put it in a book, put it in a blog. And it turns out there's a whole lot of pastors like me who have tried to get their church really big, have not been able to do so, but have realized, hey, maybe this isn't a failure. Maybe this is a specialty. And if small church is a specialty, then it's a specialty that's worth doing well. So I wrote a book, I started the blog, and now I travel around and help other small church pastors, first of all, be encouraged that you can do small well, and then secondly, finding good resources for how to do small well, because the resources for doing small churches well do not have an over a lot of overlap with the resources for how to do big church well. Yeah, no, and that's part of what we got into. So let me just make sure and clarify, so for everyone listening, is you now have a dynamic ministry based off of your failures. Exactly. That's what I loved. That's where I think you and I started <laughs> bonding, is is that, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like that's what God does, right? He He takes the stuff that's the worst about us and I'm a pastor, you're a pastor. Uh, When someone says they don't get into the numbers game in terms of how many people do we have coming and how big is my church, they're lying. Um, And and it sounds like, though, what you're trying to do is go, hey, people, 
not a, not everyone is called to have a mega church. And I, of course, live in outside of Houston, Texas, which is the mega church capital of the world. And not everybody's called to have that kind of church. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't kind of like out of all the hundreds of thousands of evangelical whatever type churches out there, the average size is about what, 75 to 100 people? Yeah, 75 is the average uh, internationally, 85 or so is the average in the U.S. So that is the kind of, that is like the norm. That's the norm. And and it yeah. feels like people in our world and, and maybe even just the casual listener thinks that every church is as big as the one they're attending if they happen to be attending a big one. Uh, but the truth is actually very different. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, a lot of times what we've done is we've treated the small church like it's a problem to be fixed simply because it's small. But if the average size church is 75, and if 90% of the churches in the world are under 200, which is true, if you're in the 90%, I mean, how do we look at that and go, well, you all must be broken? It's ridiculous. So Maybe if it's... you're in a small church, you're not broken, you're normal, and there's nothing about normal that needs to be fixed. Yeah, and maybe what's broken is the large church. You know, I mean, because well, some large, yeah, some large churches are broken, some small churches are broken. Yeah. Well, and and you know, I've been a part of both, and I, you know, it it does feel like community. That kind of the point of church is to love others. Uh, it it does feel like it starts to get lost. But you you kind of shared some things. What are like, what are some of the unique issues that the small church goes through, especially as it relates to community, right? Because it's like everybody knows everybody's business. Yeah, well, I mean, especially in your area of ministry in marriage, uh, you know, if, if your marriage goes bad and you're in a huge church, then you can go to maybe the on-staff marriage counselor or go to their specialty marriage weekend, or, you know, they're going to have something that you can avail yourself of. And you may walk into a room, uh, you know, for, you know, marriage restoration class or whatever, and not have met anybody else in the room before, even though you've all been going to the same church, because it's a massive church with multiple venues, and there's only a handful of people that you know. So you can be relatively anonymous in a large church, even if your marriage is collapsing, and get help that is fairly anonymous and is going to be of a high level of, you know, uh, uh, of skill. But if your marriage is collapsing and you're in a small church, everybody knows. Uh, and so, and maybe you're the pastor, maybe the pastor and spouse are having a hard time in their marriage. And even if you're not advertising it, people can sense it because everybody knows everybody. So uh, approaching chal- for challenges like that and seeking healing for your marriage is just a very different dynamic in a small church. It's not worse or better, big or small, but it simply carries a different dynamic that needs to be taken into account when you're seeking help in your marriage or in your family or raising your kids or in your finances or in your emotional state or whatever it might be. And so what would you say then if, 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 someone, if someone listening is attending a small church and their marriage they're struggling and and maybe they're they're facing that very struggle like well guy i don't know what to do because i don't want everybody into my stuff what would you encourage a couple to do then if they attend a smaller church what what would be maybe the smartest first step well it depends on the health 
healthfulness of the church that you're in. You know, I've, we're blessed to be in a very, very healthy small church. It wasn't when we showed up 26 years ago, but for the last 20 years or so, <clears throat> the Lord has really blessed us with a good, healthy small church. And so there are a lot of folks that come to me as the pastor for help, and I've been able to help them and walk them through certain things. When it gets beyond my level of skill, then I've got a, a group of people that I can send them to, counselors and therapists and, and you know, marriage weekends and so on. So if you're in a healthy church, I encourage you, you know, go to the pastor and say, here's my situation. If, the, if it's a healthy church and it's a healthy pastor, then the pastor may say to you, yeah, I can walk you through that. Maybe the pastor and their spouse can walk you through that. In some healthy small churches, the pastor will go, you know what? I'm a good pastor, I'm a strong preacher, but counseling people through marriage crisis is not a specialty for me, and if I do it, I'm more likely to hurt the situation than help it, but they might have resources that they can guide you to. So I, you know, if, if the church is healthy, go to the pastor first. If the church is not a healthy one, and maybe you're there because you're helping to get it to health, uh, then you want to seek some outside resources, like I don't know, maybe the Smalley Institute. I've heard they're, they, I heard they've got some pretty decent stuff. I heard those guys um, are amazing. So depending on the situation, yeah. What's that? I heard those guys are amazing. The Smalley Institute. I've heard, I've heard pretty good. You've heard amazing. We'll, we'll just yeah, you know, somewhere <laughs> in between that maybe. We'll land in the middle. That's fair. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so how would okay? This begs the question then. Because you're saying, hey, if you're at a healthy one, do this. If you're not at a healthy one, do that. How would someone know? So if they're attending a small church, what would be some of the signs that might show them, uh, you know what, we're, we're not that healthy. We might need some help from, from Carl Vader's. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many of them. There's The basics of a healthy church are threefold. One, the great commandment. Are we loving God and loving each other? To the Great Commission, are we reaching outside of the walls of our church with that love to share it with others? And then three, there's something that I like to call the pastoral prime mandate, and it's the only place in the New Testament where the word pastor is actually mentioned as a function in the church. It's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and it says the pastor, along with four other ministry gifts, their job is to equip God's people to do works of ministry. So in in a uh, a relatively healthy but ineffective church, the pastor is usually doing everything. Maybe the church is fulfilling the great commandment, loving God, loving each other. Maybe they're doing the great commission and they're reaching out, but the pastor's doing everything. So they're not doing the pastoral prime mandate. The pastor is not equipping the people in the pew to actually do ministry. But in fact, the pastor is doing everything and maybe the people are expecting the pastor to do everything. But a really healthy church is doing all three of those things well. Great commandment, loving God, loving each other. Great commission, reaching out. And the pastoral prime mandate, which is that the average person is becoming an equipped disciple and an equipping disciple. So to the degree that we're doing those three things, the church is healthy. To the degree that we're failing to do any of those three things, the church is in relative places of ill health. Now, no church is perfect. No church is going to do all those three things perfectly. But if you can look around the church and go, hey, yeah, we're doing those three things to a relatively good degree, you're in a healthy church. But if you look around the church and you go, you know what, we do a lot of evangelism, but we don't really have a whole lot of fellowship and people don't really know each other, well, that's a sign of ill health. Or, man, we're doing all those things, but it's all on the shoulder of the pastor and pastoral staff, and they're running themselves ragged while a bunch of pew sitters just sit there and go, come on, entertain me, Feed preacher me. boy, Yeah, then that's a sign of ill health too. And would you agree that if someone listening goes, oh, I kind of, I think 
you know, two out of three were doing okay, or maybe just one out of three. But it, you don't have to leave. Like, that's, that's kind of the point is I, as a churchgoer and a member of a church, can actually step up and help and volunteer. Do you know, I was actually at a church before, literally the weekend before you and I met up in Guatemala, and I, in 25 years of doing events and preaching and a gajillion different churches, this is the first time ever that I was at a large church. It's outside of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I mean, I think they have close to 2,000 adults attending on Sundays. They had three staff members. Every other position was filled by volunteers within the church. Amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's a sign of a really, really healthy church. And I think as the next you know, d- decades come along, more and more churches are going to have to do that because the, 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 um, the amount of giving per capita per person per church is dropping and will drop even more so in the next couple of decades. It's just the nature of the next generation and the way they think about things and look at things. They're not, they're not less generous, but they're more likely to want to give up their time than of their money. So if they're wanting to give up their time, let's utilize that. Let's stop worrying about our budgets getting bigger, and let's make up for a lot of the need that we have for a bigger budget by actually doing what the Bible tells us to do, which is to disciple people to become disciple makers and put them in those positions. So those kinds of things are, I think, a good part of a healthy future of the church that we need to lean into uh, rather than away from. That's one of the fun things. Amy and I have been going through the church planting uh, um, education through ARC, the Association of Related Churches, ARC. Right. And one of the things I have just loved about their sort of strategy and system is, listen, your job, it's not about you. It's not about the pastor. It's about the people and the people in the neighborhood that you're planting a church or you have a church in. And that's one of the things they hit hard is your church is going to have the things that are the passion and ministries of the people that are attending. So, for example, if I, as a pastor, end up having a lady come up to me going, oh, my gosh, we need to do more parties. I'm a party planner and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then my responsibility is to go, hey, I want to build that up in you. So why don't you become that party planner for our for our church? And, and now all of a sudden yeah. our church becomes an excellent party church because – I happen to have somebody that attends. It could be Harley Davidson's. It could be childcare, you know, whatever. Yeah. And see, and there's one of the big differences between the way uh, big churches operate and small churches operate. And it's not a difference of quality. It's just simply a different type of church because of size dynamic. So most of the time we hear when we go to big church conferences or read books by big church pastors that the pastor has to get a vision, the pastor has to push the vision, the pastor has to promote the vision, the pastor has to get everybody in line with the vision. And in a massive church, that's true because you can't, otherwise you're just finger to the wind pastoring by survey, and that's not leadership. But the smaller the church is, the more the vision of the church is going to be established by everybody working together and by what you just described, somebody coming along and saying, I think the Lord has given me this particular skill or this passion, or I'm seeing this particular need. And then the DNA of the church starts getting formed by 
the congregation members interacting rather than by pronouncement from the top. I like that. The DNA of the, yeah. And, and what I love too, is it's about serving. And, and I try to tell couples all the time, you know, someone might be listening right now going, okay, why do we have a small church pastor guru guy on small marriage radio? The, the point is, is that I, I might argue you could find better community at a smaller church because at a large church, you're able to have anonymity, right? I can disappear. Nobody has to know anything about me and I can check a box off, which is obviously not the point of following Christ. Um, and community matters in the health of a marriage, right? We need to have people around us that are not just plugging in or um, not just serving us or doing things for us, but that we also get to serve. That's when marriage becomes really special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, big and, church, big and small churches have their own struggle when it comes to this, different ones. So in a large church, like you just said, the struggle is against anonymity. If you want to be anonymous and just show up, uh, disappear in the crowd and leave, you know, with nobody noticing you, you're going to go to a big church because that's, you can be anonymous. Healthy big churches know that, which is why they're constantly pushing, pushing small groups and ministry teams to help people, to, to push people past that point of anonymity and get them involved. In a small church, it's the opposite. You don't show up at a small church to disappear. But if you're a control freak, you want to show up at a small church because you can control it. So, Big churches know that they have to fight against this tendency towards people being passive. Small churches have to fight against the control freak who wants to take over the entire program. So big church pastors and small church pastors each have their challenges, but it's a different type. So in a small church, you've got to be sure that there isn't somebody who's just running the entire show for everybody and is controlling the entire thing. That's why in a small church you want to work really hard on the inter inter a generational dynamic and and everything else because small churches are not automatically friendlier than big churches. They're not. Yeah, it could be but quite if toxic. Work, if you work at it, it can be a place of great intimacy and great friendship. It can. I, okay, I have two things here. First is a statement I'm going to make to people listening is that you protect yourself from being wildly unhealthy in whatever circumstance if your attitude is, hey, I don't just want to be like Christ, but what can I do for others at this small church? Or what can I do for my spouse? What can I do for my children? When you have an attitude of, I just want to love God, love others, and serve them, that protects you from a lot of really stupid, unhealthy things. That's one. So that's just free advice for people listening who need to hear that. Number two, though, is, Carl, what would you say to the small church pastor how does that person protect themselves from being bullied and bulldozed and controlled by a control freak? Because we know that's the church world, right? And I know I have my ideas and, frankly, what I've done over the years to combat that. But what, what's your best advice for that small pastor church where that dude is allowing people to step in and, and be unhealthy and, con and be controlling? Yeah, it is. It is maybe the biggest challenge in the in the small church pastorate is the control freak, and I've seen far too many small churches that allow the unhealthiest elements of the church to take control simply because they're the loudest voices. So, the one way you don't do it is that you don't try to out control the control freak. 
if you do that, it's like fighting over the steering wheel in a moving car. You, you will not get control and everybody will get hurt. So don't try to out-control the control freak. That's a recipe for disaster. What you want to do instead is you want to empower the healthy elements of the church. You may not be able to get the person you want on an official board or in an official capacity, but especially in a small church, the people who have real authority don't always have a title. So what you want to do is you want to find healthy people, not just the people who agree with you, but the people who are healthy, who are strong in the faith, who are really growing in the Lord, and empower them in as many ways as you possibly can. And when they grow in their strength in the Lord, when they grow in their leadership capacity, then it becomes something that just that people just kind of naturally flow to. So the power shifts over to the healthy people and away from the unhealthy people. You haven't started a fight. You're not trying to take power away from anybody. You're just simply giving more power and more authority to the people who are healthiest rather than the people who are unhealthy. I love that. It sounds like feed the positive, right? It's that old analogy of, you know, if you just focus on the weeds in your grass, the weeds are going to take over. But if you if you focus on growing healthy grass and fertilizing the grass, the grass eventually chokes out the weeds. And, And that would be a far, far more enjoyable, by the way far more enjoyable yeah, way to go exactly. about that. Now, okay, so if you end up though with somebody, so I did this once. And and you can you can correct me and shame me and criticize me if I, you know, really did this in an unhealthy manner, but I was hired as That an, sounds like fun. Yeah, I know. You 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 might enjoy this. <laughs> but I was hired as an interim pastor at Parkway Church in Victoria, Texas, and I had pretty early on, you know, I had a I had a a, a guy older gentleman in his probably middle to late 60s, uh, you know, get a meeting with me and basically complain about the entire vision of the church. So the music is too loud. It's too dark. I don't, you know, blah, 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 over and over. And the problem is that he didn't like the very mission of the church, which was to reach the lost, right? So it was more contemporary and, you know, we did things differently. And so I validated him because I understood he didn't like it, but he had sort of introduced himself as the leader of the 200. So it was like 200 people in his little group at this church that um, were that, that he was representing. And so I validated him, and, and at the end he went, finally, a pastor who's willing to listen to me. I went, Noel, I, go, I just want to make sure and clarify, I understand that you don't like it. Unfortunately, the things you don't like are actually the very vision and mission of this church. So... I'm not actually changing anything. And you might actually be happier somewhere else. And I, and I didn't do that out of anger. I just, I literally was like, look, there are other churches with different styles that it sounds like you would be happier at. And so the 200 left. They they walked away. He threatened me a little wow. bit about, well, you are you willing to let go of all of the money that we donate? And I went, sir, I'm I'm dependent on God for the finances, not you. So I want you to be ministered to, and it doesn't sound like this is the best place. So he left. And what I've tried to tell pastors everywhere is you can't be afraid of someone leaving. Like, it, it seems like we get stuck in a real unhealthy cycle when it's like, oh, no, that person gives $15,000 a month, whatever, you know, $5,000 a month. I got to accommodate when the truth is, I guess in my opinion, you don't. And it's good sometimes yeah. to get rid of those unhealthy influences. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Losing those 200 people from what you described to me may have been the best step towards health for that church. I mean, you know, I've known of situations where the church has shrunk simply because of incompetence, but the pastor wants to claim, well, you know, it was healthy exodus. No, they're not all healthy exoduses. Sometimes you just blew it. Uh, yeah. But when it's, when it's that proactive, when you are stepping up and saying, listen, I validate you. I hear where you're coming from. I understand it. But that's not the direction that we need to go in as a church. And then especially if the person threatens you financially, pastors, any time somebody comes to you and threatens you financially, that is an unhealthy person, and you are better off without their money than you are taking it and having to live with under that kind of control. Um, I, I made a decision years and years ago. We would not make any ministry decision based on whether or not we could afford it. We will make the ministry decision based on whether or not we're supposed to be doing it and then figure out how to do it within our means. Yeah. So the how-to depends on money, but the whether or not to does not depend on money. Well, and that's, that's funny. I think you and I have similar views on that in the sense of, hey, w w when it comes to a church, there's sort of a healthy budget, and then there's sort of a God thing. If God is calling us to do something that's going to require extra money, we have to be able to have the faith and trust that he's going to provide that money. It doesn't mean you go out and take a loan. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in doing that. But it does mean that we can put things down that are God-sized projects, and we get to trust and watch him take care of those needs miraculously many times. Yeah, yeah unquestionably so. And here's the, the interesting dynamic, again, more in a small church than a big church, is um, it's amazing how many great things get done in small churches without there being a line item in the budget for it. The, the more you disciple people to become disciplers and workers, the less money you need, first of all. And secondly, when somebody is involved deeply in a ministry, the more likely they are to give to that ministry. So even on the financial end of things, discipling people just makes good sense. Uh, you know, sometimes, and one of the things, for instance, that the church growth folks like to talk about, and it's very true, is they'll take a look at a budget and they'll say, you know, now a healthy church will have X amount of money uh, designated to outreach and evangelism, or every once in a while there'll be a blog post come out and say, every church needs an evangelism pastor. Nonsense. <laughs> Most of the churches in the world can't afford anything that you're talking about. But it's amazing how many churches of 40 or 50 are doing percentage-wise a greater amount of evangelism than a church 20 or 100 times their size without a penny in the budget simply because people are actively engaged in evangelism and discipleship. And in a smaller church, it doesn't need a line item in the budget to get done. It doesn't. And the point is discipleship. That's where I know God has taken me on my own personal journey, that even my marriage ministry, I, I had made the mistake and my father before me. Uh, and nothing evil, but you know, our vision was to help build better marriages. And where God has taken us over the last few years, especially since my dad graduated to heaven, was, well, now hold on a minute. That's really not the point of anything. The The point of everything, if you follow me, if I'm, if I'm going to claim to be a disciple of Christ, is to go make disciples. And that's where the, the vision of our ministry has changed. And no, 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 we're doing healthy marriage ministry to help make disciples for Christ. That's the end goal. Now, the healthy marriage 
is usually a result of someone who's authentically following Christ. But that goes into the big church, the small church, the men's ministry. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is we're doing, how can we use this thing, uh, this event or Sunday or small group to, to make disciples of Christ? Yeah, yeah, very much so. That is the goal. And I, and you're right. It's really easy when you narrow your mission down to a specific area as you have done and as I have done, and appropriately so. We can't help everybody in every way. So everybody has to find a, and the narrower the niche, the more impact you can have in it. But when you get into that narrow niche, then it's very easy to start thinking that it's only about, you know, a, a a marriage or it's only about whatever your particular area of ministry is and forget that the reason we did this was to make disciples. So I'm going to help make disciples through supporting and resourcing small churches. You're going to help make disciples by helping people to strengthen their marriages, but we can't lose sight of what the original and ultimate goal was and is, which is making disciples, which is what I love about what you do. Oh, I, I appreciate that. So, all right. If people want to find out more, especially if they either attend a small church or maybe they're leading a small church, it is newsmallchurch.com. This is Carl right. Vader's. And so what would be the final thing? If you you know, what's the most important thing you would want someone to hear on this podcast that's going to get them to the site, that's going to get them engaged and making sure they're building a healthy small church community? What would be that one thing? Well, if speaking particularly to pastors, but also to those who attend a small church, uh, pastoring a small church is not a penalty for doing something wrong. Uh, it's a specialty, and it's worth doing well. Once we can make that mind shift from, oh, I must be doing something wrong because our church is staying small, to no, God has entrusted me with a particular specialty, pastoring a small church, which in many ways is even more challenging than pastoring a big church. In other ways, it's easier. In some ways, it's harder. Either way, it is not a penalty. It's a specialty. And if that's going to be the specialty, even if it's just for a season, even if 10 years from now the church explodes and gets massive, while it's small, let's do small well. Amen. And I love one of the excerpts and quotes from your newest book, Small Church Essentials. Small churches may be Christianity's most overlooked, underutilized asset, and they're multiplying. I just yes. love what you're doing, Carl. Exponentially. <laughs> I love what you're doing. I appreciate your ministry, and I hope that uh, we can continue talking into the future, especially on maybe how uh, small churches can actually have very dynamic marriage ministries. Maybe that's another show. That would be great. I'm just going to take advantage of you as long as I can until you figure out it's not very beneficial to you. <laughs> well, I'm already feeling a little bit taken advantage of, but so far... Not yet. Around. Oh, great. Usually <laughs> I have a couple of shows before people figure that out. Before they figure that yeah, out. Yeah, but most of them didn't spend a week in Guatemala. Oh. So you've already got that against you. And you heard, I think your group, unfortunately, and, and I'll just apologize again for this, heard the most inappropriate stories from my life than any group in the history of the world. <laughs> 
Well, it's official because we asked the translator if that was true, and the translator he admitted, yeah, yeah. You he did. He did. He's like, I've never heard anybody share these kind of stories before. Uh, that's when I knew we could be friends when you didn't excommunicate me right on the spot. All right, Carl. Well, thank you. Many blessings on you and your ministry. And I just hope God keeps growing it because it's it's really necessary. It's important. That. Thanks, Michael. Right back at you. All right, brother.